Blog Talk Radio. Diabetes Late Night. Because I have to say, like, 
she's been doing this for almost 50 years, and she attacks every song with the same passion and freshness. And I was just so, um, I was just completely overwhelmed by how authentic she is and what a true inspiration she is. I'm so grateful that we are celebrating everything about Dolly Parton tonight, including her newest album. Joining me in that Dolly Wood uh, celebration are poet Lorraine Brooks, Dr. Beverly S. Adler, Patricia Addy Gentle, Catherine Schuler, Dr. Lisa Young, and from the Type 2 Diabetes What to Know Facebook community, we have Crystal joining us. So it's going to be a great podcast because all through tonight, we're going to be playing music from the Dumplin' Original Motion Picture soundtrack, courtesy of Sony Music. And we're going to get right back to the music. But before we do, I want to take a minute and tell you, hey, if you're, going to, if you're not going to give flowers and you're going to make a donation to Spare Rose Save a Child, why not buy your loved one a pair of underwear? Because uh, 5 equals 10 is making a big difference in how people wear athletic wear. They understand the importance of providing others with the opportunity. And together, we can make the world a better place. 5 equal, equals 10 will be donating 10% of the company's profits to their charity partners, including DivaBetic throughout the month of February. So please visit 5equals10.com, and together we can all make a difference. I'm wearing a pair as we speak right now. <laughs> now let's turn our attention back to the music. Dolly Parton has had an incredible career, you know, and she is probably one of the strongest female voices in the male-dominated world of country music. You don't believe me? Well, back in 1968... She wrote a song demanding equal treatment, making it clear that she shouldn't be judged more harshly simply because of her gender. I think that statement rings true today as much as it did back in 1968. Here's Just Because I'm a Woman, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I can see you're disappointed by the way you look at me, and I'm sorry that I'm not the woman you thought I'd be Yes, I've made my mistakes But listen and understand My mistakes are no worse than yours Just because I'm a woman Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. That was classic Dolly Parton. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. You know, there is a huge gender disparity between healthcare, include, uh, between men and women regarding healthcare, including heart research. I'll be talking with that issue a little bit later on tonight during our push and pull game segment. But right now, um, we'll also, I should say, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this, we're going to be giving away copies of Dr. Lisa Young's new book, Finally Full, Finally Slim, 30 Days of Permanent Weight Loss. Uh, one portion at a time during that game. But right now we're going to turn it over to our hot seat roundtable because I've got so many guests tonight I want to get right to <laughs> the hot seat with all my favorite divas because it's Dolly Night. So welcome to the show. We've got Dr. Bev. Hi, Dr. Bev. Hello, Bev. We've got poet Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Max. Who's gaining rave reviews in the Washington D.C. area for her newest acting, her acting debut? We've got our diabetic image and style advisor on location during New York Fashion Week, Catherine Schuler. Hi, Catherine. Hi, I'm all about 
And Patricia Addy Gentles here from Atlanta, and you're dealing with some bad weather, so we appreciate that you're here tonight. Patricia, thanks for joining us. Hi, Max. Ooh la la. That's right, we've got all the divas, Dolly. Anyhow, all right, here's how it's going to work. I'm giving you all a quick question. You've got less than a minute to give me your answer. Uh, I just want to tell you, Wendy Williams is on break right now, so imagine if you're in the hot seat with Wendy Williams answering this question. First question is for Catherine Schuler and poet Lorraine Brooks. Are you ladies ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Ready. Our Variety, Ma- Variety recently reported how Hollywood has embraced the art of drag, as seen in several movies ranging from A Star is Born to Dumplin', the show that we're, uh, the soundtrack that we're playing from tonight, and also Fox's newest version of Rent. These shows celebrate both the performance aspect of drag as well as some of the deeper aspects, the heart and soul of people behind the personas. But many women, and women including Mary Cheney, that's the open lesbian activist, Republican daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, are not thinking it's so acceptable and actually find it quite offensive. Catherine Schuler, what do you think of this stereotype of women, men doing drag? Are you for it, against it? Go. Totally and completely for it. <laughs> I mean, you're asking somebody that conducted a brunch at the hotel, the drug brunch at the hotel. I really got to know these uh, performers for truly who they are. And I think that one of the most incredible uh, uh, things that happened this year was RuPaul winning all those Emmys. And RuPaul has done more for levelizing and accepting, uh, allowing drag to be accepted. And it's it's been through the ages anyway. I mean, you weren't allowed to be a woman in a Shakespearean play, and that's where the word drag came from, because you dragged the dress across the stage, and they always had men playing women's roles. Juliet, Lady Macbeth, all those key players were all done by guys in women's clothing. So it's been a long tradition, and I think it's just, you know, uh, it's come through to today, and I, I love the fact that people are embracing right. RuPaul so much. So you're giving a thumbs up to drag. You're, all right, that was your time is up. All right, now uh, yep. turning to poet Lorraine Brooks, I just want you to know that when adapting the Netflix movie Dumplin', from Julie Murphy's 2015 novel, the writer-producer Kristen Hahn said she wanted to make sure that there was a personal connection between the lead character, Willow Dean, to deepen the emotions and the relationship with the drag queens and show that there was more than just one type of drag queen. As you heard from Catherine Schuler, drag's been going on for centuries, dating back to Shakespearean times. How do you feel about drag? Are you for it, or do you find it offensive? Uh, I'm not for it, and I do find it offensive. I think that um, drag, and nothing personal against the people who do it, but I think the art of drag itself is rather offensive to women. I think it's a caricature of the way somebody thinks women behave. And um, as a woman, I find that offensive because I don't believe women do behave that way. I think they exaggerate the bad qualities or what they think are the bad qualities, you know, the cattiness and the the sort of, you know, shallowness of, of character. And um, I, I feel the same way about drag as I feel about blackface. I think it's someone's idea of what someone else is supposed to be, and I don't think it's true to life at all. All right, great opinions. Thanks for being a part of that. <laughs> Dr. Bev, it looks like it's your turn. All right, our diva inspiration, uh, 
Dolly Parton is returning to the silver screen. That's right. TCM Big Screen Classics is bringing back Steel Magnolias to the big screen, but not everyone's happy about this film depiction. Uh, Many of those who don't like it are women living with type 1 diabetes. How do you feel about it? Well, as a woman living with type 1 diabetes for coming up to 44 years, uh, when that movie came out, it was very, very upsetting. It was upsetting to me as well, uh, the depiction of um, uh, the type 1 diabetic woman and uh, that um, she was – she – well, I don't want to have a spoiler alert here, but uh, she has uh, her pregnancy, which her mother clearly told her she should not do, and ultimately she gives birth to a, a beautiful baby boy, but it's too much for her body, and uh, she ends up uh, dying, and uh, Julia Roberts played that character. And it was very upsetting to me as a young woman uh, because if I wanted to start a family, how scary was that to me that that could happen? Um, I think the thing about the story was that um, they didn't clue you in into the background of of this character of Julia Roberts and what her diabetes history had been. And so when they all said, oh, see, the doctors were wrong, she could have a baby, it was Sally Field's character who said, no, they never said she couldn't. They said she shouldn't. And, um, you know, uh, I uh, went through two very successful pregnancies myself, and um, I uh, sadly, in the middle between my two pregnancies, I had a miscarriage, and um, that experience was very sad, and my obstetrician at the time blamed it on my poor control of my diabetes, which was not a true story. I I was always very careful, and uh, when I went to my diabetes expert, he told me that was nonsense, that one out of five women, 20%, regardless whether they have diabetes or not, end up with miscarriage. And so that made me feel a lot better, and uh, I ended up switching doctors because she was really misinformed, and she made me feel very badly about myself and my care. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, we do play that. Um, we have played Steel Magnolias on the expo floor at the American Diabetes Association several times because we use a sh- uh, scene where she is – Julia Roberts' character is in the um, beauty shop having a blood sugar low to talk about team effort and how they direct her into drink your juice, uh, drink your juice, Shelby, and why that would be an option for someone having a low. We'll try to talk more about that, but thank you for that response. Trisha Addy Gentle, you're in the hot seat. Okay, uh, 72 soap opera legend Susan Lucci, who swears by the Mediterranean diet and also is very much into Pilates. Uh, I think from the outside we all think she's the perfect picture of health, but she just announced that she's recovering from a major health crisis. She had emergency surgery a few uh, back in October to correct a 90% blockage in her heart's main artery, 75% blockage, uh, blockage in a smaller artery, uh, which is called the Widowmaker. Patricia, how do you make heads and tails of this story? What, what's going on here? 
Well, many people have blockages when they are not really truly aware of it. And despite the diet, despite the um, exercise and activity, it does happen. Uh, sometimes genetics has a big part to, uh, you know, play with that. But we can be proactive and decrease risk by those same things that Susan Lucci is practicing. Uh, the Mediterranean diet is, is a great uh, meal plan as well as Pilates. And also, when you go to your doctor, you have to be proactive and look at those numbers and cholesterol levels and other things that may um, play into the metabolic syndrome and cause plaques and clots to build in the arteries. And when I say proactive, I don't mean, um, you know, when we go to our doctor many times we'll get numbers that we'll get a um, result reading that says everything is good or you're normal, but we need to be proactive and know exactly what those numbers are and what they mean. So, um, well, you know, and, it and that happen. point, you know, Susan Lucci is referencing what you're saying specifically because she said before this happened, she had reason to believe it could have happened three times, uh, like several times earlier. In fact, the first time she felt, uh, you know, she felt a little tightness, but she didn't do anything. She just thought, you know, she needed to lie down. The second time she felt this tightness she thought her bra was tightened too fastly across her and then the third time she was out shopping and the woman at the boutique said to her um are you all right and she felt like an elephant was pressing uh pressing down on her chest and that woman at the boutique according to the story that susan lucci told to people magazine actually drove her to the hospital and the, and she stayed there and had the operation done so you know heart attacks the symptoms are much different for women than men and it's most so definitely, and we have to listen to those symptoms and take and action. Take action. And, right, and sometimes that's especially in women because those symptoms are so different, and because we actually sense things a lot differently. So we take things lightly, take them for granted. You know, it's just a little this, or it's it's not really anything that matters. And lots of times, those are significant things that we need to be uh, really mindful of. So whenever there are symptoms, we do need to be proactive and take action and be checked. And I think what you're saying is that people should get clued in, which reminds Absolutely. me, Patricia, that people could uh, join us for Divabetic's newest outreach program on Diabetes Alert Day, March 26, 2019, in New York City from 5 to 10 p.m. We're going to be hosting the first ever totally free diabetes and heart health escape room experience. Dr. Bev will be there. Catherine Schuler will be there. Even I'll be there. You could go to cluedin.org right now and sign up for your escape room experience. We've got six great rooms to choose from. Rooms are going, are going fast and space is limited, so make sure you take advantage of that. Get clued in with all of us. Thanks for being a part of that hot topic section, everybody. We're going to come right back with poet Lorraine Brooks, but first, Dolly Partners. And six original songs from the soundtrack Dumplin', the next Netflix original film that follows Dolly Parton superfan Willow Dean as she takes on a Texas beauty pageant and uh, fights the standards. Here's another great song from that soundtrack entitled Who, courtesy of Sony Music. Looking in the mirror Not liking what I see Wishing I was surer but insecurities tell me I will never 
And she even said that, you know, um, there's a lot of pressure on women to be beautiful and you don't have to look like a supermodel. That you really, she wanted people when they heard this music not to have to worry, not for young women specifically today, not to worry about what they look like, but to focus on what they are inside and learn how to accept themselves. And I think that's also powerful, someone like Dolly Parton sharing some of her own issues around uh, self-acceptance. Well, you, you and I were talking during the week and I said to you I had heard uh, Sharon Stone be interviewed and she had the same feelings and Sharon Stone is somebody I think that most people would consider to be beautiful um, especially in her heyday but even now as she's getting older and and she was even saying that she struggled with her self-image and so did um, uh, uh, Sybil Shepherd. I mean people that we look at you know as icons of beauty and they have the same feelings so I, I think, you know, I would venture to say, remember that poem I wrote, of Beauty and the Beach? I mean, so many people related to that. Because I think a lot of women do feel this way, regardless of what we think they look like. As well as man, so men. So I'm excited to hear your spin on this whole theme tonight around the movie and um, novel, Dumplin'. Well, um, my, my poem is called Darling Dumplin' because um, I had just, seen the movie and I thought that I would write something that related to just not only the movie but also uh, women in general. It's hard in a world where looks are a prize to value yourself if you're not the right size. For chubby young girls, it's especially true and lots of the other kids will bully you. If mom calls you Dumplin' and you hate that name, It may be a reason you're feeling ashamed. Some people will tell you that you look okay, but deep down inside, there's a price that you pay. It's sadness and lonely and unworthiness that causes you pain and gives you distress. It's being alone when the girls are all dating and feeling ashamed because boys aren't relating. It's trying to smile when you don't feel all right It's waiting for phone calls on Saturday night. It's hoping you'll get all the cute boys' attention, but hearing the ridicule and condescension. It's when you decide for yourself that you're fine, that you can begin to turn water to wine. It's when you feel comfortable in your own skin that you can begin on the journey to win. No, it's not easy to want to conform or made to believe that you're outside the norm. But if you're like Dumplin', you'll rise to your best, and you will decide you will not be suppressed. Everyone's different, and all are worthwhile, and all of us have individual style. So get out on that runway and strut all your stuff. Don't let anyone tell you that you're not enough. Skinny or chubby, plump or obese, accept what you're given. That's where you find peace. I love it, Lorraine. It's right up there with Beauty and the Beach. I I think it's great. I I think you, uh, as always, nailed it. And I don't mean like the Netflix TV show nailed it where they kind of, the bad cooks try to do it. I mean, like, you really were great. (laughs) I love that show, by the way, but I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it in that reference. So, thank you for for doing that. Hang around tonight because we're going to be playing some games. 
and and giving away some more stuff. So, are you a Dolly Parton fan, though, Lorraine? Tell me honestly. I am. I am. As a matter of fact, this year I'm planning to go to Dollywood. Oh, I want to do that so bad. You have no idea. I will, she has. Oh, I. I will take a lot of pictures. I will send you pictures. Please go into the costume area. That's really where I want. Everyone assumes that's where I would want to be in it. Absolutely. So well, you know, the good news for both of us is Dolly Parton said she doesn't want to retire. She wants to wear out, not rust out. And she said her her actual dream is to drop dead on stage. Well, we don't want to see that happen. But I, I'm in the mood to move it a little bit. So I'm going to go to a uh, up-tempo number, one of my favorite songs from classic Dolly Parton. Here's Two Dollars Down, courtesy of Sony Music. diabetes distress, but it is specifically related to 
living with diabetes as opposed to depression, which is not specifically diabetes-related, and uh, depression can be treated with medication. Diabetes distress, you wouldn't use medication for that, antidepressants, but um, therapy does help so that you can talk it out. And, and I think one of the most important things is that people have to know that they're not alone living with diabetes. And uh, uh, in 1975, when I was diagnosed, I was living alone with my diabetes. There, we didn't have the Internet. There were no support groups. There was, there was only one book I knew about. I mean, it was just, it was very, very different. And nobody has to be alone now in 2019. We have your, uh, your website, your, um, uh, your podcast, many other diabetes um, organizations that can provide um, support, information, education. And uh, so if someone is feeling very depressed about living with their diabetes, they really should seek out um, some help because you don't have to live with diabetes distress. Well, and I love what you said in the Hot Topics uh, discussion when you were talking about how you were kind of shamed by your doctor. Now, if someone feels alone and they don't know anyone with diabetes and they are only listening to that doctor, it seems like self-acceptance is going to be very difficult. And your story really pointed to the fact that you went to another person in your healthcare entourage and reported that information, and they actually agreed with you that what that female doctor was saying to you, not that their gender matters, uh, what that doctor was saying to you was incorrect. And so therefore, you know, you had the courage to move on. So this to me, what you said earlier, really came to this thing about self-acceptance and who is in your world and what are they telling you around that? That That is 100% correct because um, I had worked very hard for my first pregnancy I, I and I had a very successful pregnancy and uh, – um it's it's not easy i think for probably most women i don't really know cuz i'm not most women but i can tell you living with diabetes and being pregnant puts a lot of um uh um there's a lot of restrictions and there's just just a lot to focus on and um you know i i got through my that first pregnancy, knowing that it was time limited, all that I had to do to keep my healthy pregnancy was just nine months, and so I was able to do that. I had an A1C at the time of 4.9. I really, I you know, my baby was under nine pounds. I I had a good, I had a good pregnancy, and here when I had my second pregnancy, uh, I worked equally as hard and uh, with not the same result. And so I, I did feel very, um, I'm going to say, attacked, uh, you know, verbally attacked by my doctor, ashamed that I didn't do well enough. It was very, very difficult. I've, I felt really terrible about it. And uh, I hadn't spoken to other women um, about either pregnancy with diabetes or miscarriage. 
since that time, and especially as a therapist, I hear a lot about miscarriage from uh, you know women patients of mine, and they have no idea either how how really common it is, and it, it's not related to diabetes. No, and you know this is so interesting because the other thing we were talking about uh, you and I earlier this week because we've been working so hard on Clued In, the first uh, ever free diabetes and heart health escape room experience. I have to put that whole title in. Um, we were talking about just how overwhelming it could be for someone who is managing diabetes to take on another condition, like maybe pregnancy, but you know, which uh, you just mentioned, or even a heart issue like cardiovascular disease, and how that could overwhelm people as well. And again, it comes back to how do you accept this, but how do other people around you help you deal with it as well? And we both know that. You know, many of our listeners are women, and a lot of our listeners, as Patricia said about Susan Lucci, are the last one on the priority list. So when it comes to, like, tackling more than one issue, it can be overwhelming. I, I, I yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes. Yes, I speak with, um, you know, women with diabetes, and they are focused. It can go either way. Choice number one is they're very focused on their diabetes, which means that they really don't have time to um, care for themselves in other really important ways. So they may not go to a cardiologist and make sure that they have a healthy heart, and they may not go to the other specialty um, in the, in the field that we need to to take care of ourselves because they just, uh, I mean, I, I've read somewhere that women with diabetes tend to not see their gynecologists as often as they should because they are so busy caring for their themselves and their diabetes that they let other specialties ride, okay, or slide. I'm going to say there's also the other spectrum where I have patients who are Oh, they're so overwhelmed seeing so many specialists and, uh, you know, cardiologists and, and neurologists and all sorts of ologists, and they just, they let their diabetes slide. And I can't, I have a really hard time understanding that, but I, I try to, for them I understand they have to kind of prioritize which is the most important for them, but I really would like to encourage them not to let the diabetes uh, come too far down on their list of priorities. So it can go either way. Either women are paying attention to their diabetes to the exclusion of their other um, specialties, or they are so overwhelmed with a social life filled with just visiting doctors uh, that they can't they can't bear to focus attention on one more diagnosis, which is their diabetes. So, like when it comes to problem solving, if you hit the overwhelm button before you even get into the problem, it's kind of hard to find a solution. And if that's the case, someone's you know because I know our listeners are out there; they're probably. Um, multitasking right now, listening to the show. We've heard that before. Um, how how do they kind of swing the pendulum back to 
them? How do how do how do you, what do you um, is there any advice you could give, generally speaking, that could help someone who might be feeling some of the thoughts you're, you've already expressed? I think I think one of the things that happens is when you are feeling overwhelmed, you need to back up and take things one day at a time. And I think that's very important. You know, diabetes management is one day at a time. It's one meal at a time. And uh, I think that is kind of helpful to make it, break it down into smaller steps. It's, it's very hard when doctors sometimes say, well, watch your diet. What does that mean? What does that mean? I hate when doctors say that to my patients. I'm like, all right, well, we are going to spell that out and see what that, you know, what improvements you want to make in your diet so that you don't have to feel so overwhelmed. And also if they're taking medication management, they just, it's overwhelming. And so we just have to break it down into more manageable um you know, focus, just more manageable, something that... I think you're saying we need to portion it out, and coming up in a minute, we're going to be doctor, doctor, doctor. Oh, God, I had it right there, Dr. Bevan. I screwed it up because I was thinking of your name. We're going to be talking to Dr. Lisa Young, who's considered the queen of portions. So that was a really great lead into that. But I, I do think that's important, and I know that you have two wonderful books that people could check you out on AskDrBev.com. You can find about My Sweet Life for Men and Women. Plus, you're going to be sticking around to play more games with us coming up, right? I will certainly be there. Wouldn't miss it. And are you a Dolly Parton fan? Because if you're not, you'll get the buzzer. But are you a Dolly Parton fan? Oh, no, fan? no, no. I am definitely a Dolly Parton fan. Ooh la course, la. Just this one second, it uh, it escapes me, the song that I love so much. It's um, um, Red Shoes. It, no, yeah, I love that one too. But uh, no, the one that she ended up, she had a wonderful hit with it. But um, Whitney Houston took the same song. You know which song. I it will is. always I, love you, Whitney. We just yes. celebrated Whitney's seventh anniversary of her passing yes. recently. How did yes. you? How could you not name that song? All right, well that I, was. It's just, I, I'm I, telling you, for one second, I, escaped my head. I had a senior oh. moment. <laughs> Uh-huh. But well, that, that was not a diva I, moment. Whitney, we're uh, sorry. We, and you were you were on the podcast that we celebrated yes, Whitney I was. about two years yes, ago I for was. National I, I Diabetes, uh, World Diabetes Day. I love Dolly's version of it. And she made such a mega hit on it with Whitney and that um, she always says, that girl can sing her lungs out. <laughs> And she was very happy that Whitney Houston chose one of her many, many, many songs that she has written. But uh, She actually yes. says, Dolly Parton says, Whitney could have the credit as long as Dolly gets the cash, which she did. So, <laughs> ching, ching. So, Houston, we have a problem with uh, Dr. Bev. She needs to get her Whitney Houston catalog out. In the meantime, though, do- uh, Dr. <laughs> Bev, I don't know if you knew this, but Dolly Parton is actually Miley Cyrus's godmother, but Miley admits that you can't call Dolly her godmother. She prefers to be called her fairy godmother. And talking about singer-songwriters, Dolly has written numerous, over 3,000 songs, and one of our favorites, which was nominated this year for a Golden Globe, is off the Dumplin' soundtrack. It's entitled Girl in the Movies. Here's, let's take a listen. Here's uh, Girl in the Movies, courtesy of Sony Music. I want to be 
I, I feel as though I had to accept myself and say, I'm okay the way I am. And then the plus size business really found me because I was doing uh, stand-up comedy. And the, <laughs> the, one of the bookers came backstage and said, you should plus size model. And I said, you should write for my app. Because I never heard those two words together, plus size and modeling. And I feel empowered by the term plus size. A lot of people are trying to say, oh, plus is equal and you're really much more than plus. And what's, what's the other models, minus models. That term plus is very empowering to me. And, and, and just I never go back, back for a minute because you really were on the forefront of this whole movement. And, again, we're talking about self-acceptance and diabetes tonight, a lot of uh, plus-size community. I think we're, we all embrace their attitude, and we want to encourage a healthy attitude in everyone. So, I mean, how do they move it forward? Because you and I have talked about uh, some of the plus gatherings and maybe some misconceptions around what's really going on at these things. Yeah, and I've had women come up to me and say, oh, I'm one of you now. I put on 100 pounds. And I'm like, that isn't something I can condone. I mean, what did you do to, to put on 100 pounds in a year? You know, um, I want, it's not the plus-size industry isn't about, come on, girls, get as big as you want. We got clothes for you now. That's not what it's about. I, I you know, it's about self-acceptance and being the very best, healthiest form of what you are. And not only just know your size and your weight, but what your deeper numbers are, what your A1C is, what your cholesterol is, what your triglycerides are, to know those will really stand you in good stead so that when you get to be 40 and 50 and 60, you don't have complications that you will not be able to survive from. So it's become a very much of a, well, of, of a glam more fear less kind of principle with me, and I, I take the very best care of myself I can, and I use every day to have that divitude and put myself out there. And I want to be the person I wish I had met when I first moved to New York. So I'm always encouraging other people, no matter what it is. It's a health thing. It's a modeling thing. It's an acting thing, whatever, a wardrobe, whatever, that they can solve it. They have the power within themselves to take control of what is going on with them. And if they have to, I was in a cab the other night, and this woman came in, and she was crying. And she said, I'm 25, and I'm alone. And I, uh, it was my birthday today, and she was very, very large. And it's my, just, my heart just went out for her. And I just thought to myself, this might be the night she bottoms out. And she says, you know what? I'm going to take control of my life, and I'm not going to have anybody judge me. So I just keep thinking of her and keep blessing her, and I just want to put a shout-out if she's listening, that it does get better, and you can control your eating, your health, your diet, your exercise program, take it back, girl. Take it back and, and be victorious. I love it. Now, um, you know, we're celebrating Dolly Parton. You have one thing in common with Dolly for sure. Well, besides attitude, you're both blondes. Yes. And I don't and have any Have you ever been called a dumb blonde, <laughs> Catherine? I'm just curious. Oh, plenty of times. I mean, they, they say my, my, my shoes have CGIF in them, and it's like uh, on them, and it's like toes go in first. So I, you know, it's like whatever. You know, I laugh about it, and if you can prove them wrong, then do it. Because you, you know, just arguing with somebody about, you know, what does blonde have to do with dumbness? You know, it's 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 an old cliche, 
Honest well, I, I'm a bald man, and I've been called a dumb blonde when it comes to portions. So I'm going to uh, – but guess what, everybody? If you're a dumb blonde like me, not understanding how portions work and what they could do to help you manage your weight, you're going to in for a treat. But first, in honor of all the dumb blondes out there, and there aren't any dumb blondes, just like Catherine Schuler said, we're going to play the song for intelligent blondes. And this is what I love about Dolly Parton, my favorite quote, find out who you are and do it on purpose. And like you're saying, Catherine, she kind of took what other people used to shame her about and put it into uh, – put it on stage, and used it to make herself the icon country superstar that she is. Here she is with another fabulous country star, Miranda Lambert, singing her remake of the 1967 hit, you guessed it, Catherine, Dumb Blonde, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. <laughs> Like a typical bagel, 
it's like eating five pieces of bread, and it could be easily 400 calories. I know, and and you talk about this in several interviews. You call us like some of us are like volume eaters, where the bigger one is the better one. But again, coming back to this portion, that is completely opposite, you know, because I do want the bigger, I want the bagel that there's no space in the hole. You know what I mean? I want to see it looking like a mattress. Of course, <laughs> and because you paid. And like five servings yeah, of bread, Yes, right? I know exactly what you're talking about. And and so how do I, you know, if my if I've been kind of mentally challenged through my family, I have three brothers, so, you know, you're trying to get the biggest portion, otherwise you're not going to get any. How do I change that? Well, you want to think it inwardly, and you want to say, do I want what's good for my health or what's good for my pocketbook? And when you think about your health, you don't have to eat a tiny portion. You just want to eat a smaller portion of the unhealthier or more fattening foods, whether it's the bagel, the pasta, the cookies, and then, like a volume eater, have a larger portion of fruits, vegetables, salads, veggie-based soups, and healthy foods. So it's really just reproportioning and balancing your portion, so having a portion balance. And one of the ways to kind of find out about portions that you write about in both these books is writing it down. You truly believe that a food diary is the best way to find out exactly what I'm eating and how much I am, correct, to what I'm feeling? Absolutely, and you don't have to keep a food diary forever. You could keep it for a month, for a week, even if you just write it down, write your troubled stuff down. So sometimes people just keep a cheat diary. When they get home from work and they're nibbling and they're hungry, that could be the time of day that they feel they're out of control. So it's not really a rule that you have to do something a certain way. And it shouldn't be tedious, but it should be educational. And it really can help you to hone in on what it is that you're doing wrong so that you can fix the habits very easily. And what do you say to other health gurus, and I'm using that term loosely, because some people believe that uh, they have certain trigger foods and they can't eat any of any one type of food because they have. we have seen research that uh, major food manufacturers have uh, played with the formulas for salt, fat, and sugar to the point where we become slightly addictive. So even if I'm only trying to have a small uh, cup of cereal instead of the whole bowl, I might be I might just find myself physically wanting to eat more and which isn't really an issue of willpower. How do what do you say to that? You know, I think what's happening is it really depends on the person and it really depends on what that food is because there are foods like potato chips that some people can't stop at or some people feel that they can't stop at something like chocolate. And honestly, if that's the case, whether it's willpower or whatever it is, just don't start with that food. Keep it away. And just keep it out keep it out of the house so it stays out of your mouth kind of attitude. Is exactly. that what you keep, recommend? Keep it out of the house. If you happen to be out with friends and you have a little bit to, and you want to test it out because you're not going to have it in the house where you're going to eat bags and bags, then it's okay. But it's usually the unhealthy junk food that we have this relationship with the eating, you know, where we can't control it. In which case, if you want to just skip it, so what? Might as well. Dr. 
Lisa Young, I'm going to have to have you take a seat in our hot seat. I've got a question for you that you had no advance notice on. I know you've been, uh, this is circulating in the minds of our diabetes late night listeners. Their, their heads are burning with this issue. Every healthy Instagrammer, including Pharrell Williams, is drinking celery juice and declaring it's the new wonder drink. Uh, my question is, should we believe the hype? Is celery juice better than, say, spinach, kale, or even broccoli? Absolutely not. And I must have done a half a dozen media interviews just on celery juice. Uh, it's amazing. It is just a rage. It is no better for you than kale or spinach or cauliflower. Now cauliflower is the craze. You know, pick what you like. Have more fruits. Have more vegetables, particularly greens. If you like celery juice, you can have it, but there is no such thing as one miracle food. It just doesn't exist. Why do you think the media and the public are so willing to buy into the hype with one, you know, one's in season, one's not? And I don't mean in season based on the growing period. I mean just, you know, a Kardashian in season moment. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, Max, because I deal with this all the time. And I think that it sounds sexy. We want to sort of latch onto a trend. We want to run with it, and we want to say, if I eat cabbage soup or celery juice or kale or fill in the blank or whatever it is, then I will be healthier. And it's easy, but it's a quick fix. And and um, it's just, I, I mean, it's, fa it's just really interesting. But the one thing I love more than talking portions is playing games. And tonight, later on, we're going to be giving away some copies of your book. But I figured... Why wait? Let's give a copy of Finally Full, Finally Slim, 30 Days to Permanent Weight Loss, one portion at a time, to one of our Facebook lucky fans in our game, Push. We're back to Push and Pull, and oh, it never ends. All right, Dr. Lisa Young, you're going to help me give away a book right now. Uh, but Yay. before we do that, you, you were interviewed in the New York Post, I believe, about a Harvard doctor who said that people should only eat six French fries. Readers took to social media and expressed their anger over such a strict recommendation. You were interviewed in that related article saying the issue is moderation and portion control. So six French fries, really? How many should I be eating? Yeah, I think you could have a little bit more than six. I think you could probably think about a cup, let's say, half a cup to a cup, and most people don't count out their French fries. So I think that's what really got these people so angry. Um, but I think... You want to move towards having the small when you go to McDonald's or Burger King or any place and really having whole potatoes, having more vegetables. And French fries is not a healthy food. And I think these Harvard people were calling it toxic because of a lot of reasons. And I think it's not healthy, so have a small amount. Whether you have to have 6 or 10 or 12, I think no more than a cup would be a reasonable serving. I love it. All right, well... That's Patricia Eddie Gentle on the drums over there. Thank you, Patricia. She wanted a solo tonight, and we gave it to her. Um, oh. Dr. Young, we posted a question about portion controls on our Facebook page. Seventy-five people answered it. They all got it right. We're going to have to choose one of them as our lucky winner. So I'm going to be Ryan. You're going to be Kelly. Please choose a number from 1 to 75. 46. 46. 
46. I'm going through the emails now. Deb Leonard could be our our lucky winner tonight because she well she will be our lucky winner because she answered this question right. A 2.4 ounces of French fries 20 years ago had 20 calories. How many calories do you think it has in today's portion? The answer was 610 calories. Dr. Young are in today's portion, which means you'd have to walk about an hour and 10 minutes to burn off those extra 400 calories. That's what you were talking about, how incredible it is with these extra portions that we don't realize, right? Exactly. I mean, portions are now three to four times bigger, up to five times bigger than they used to be. That's a significant and a large difference. What's Before you go, what's the best way for me to do portion control on the go? Like, should I bring measuring cups with me? I mean, I am practicing self-acceptance tonight, so I guess I could wear my most flamboyant suit as well as carry measuring cups if you allow me to. Absolutely no measuring cups, but one thing, Max, you always have and we all have is our hand. And the palm of your hand is about three to four ounces or an acceptable protein portion, one or two palms worth. If you're a man and you have a bigger palm, you can eat a little bit more. Two fingers is probably an appropriate portion of cheese, not enough cheese for 10 fingers. That's way too much cheese. And then you want to have, you know, a tablespoon of peanut butter or something as a snack. Think about your thumb tip. Oh, love it. All right. Well, hey, you, you know what? I've been following you on Twitter, and I got lots of this great advice every day. Everyone else should, too. Dr. Young, Dr. R, Lisa R. Young on Twitter. Find out more about Finally Full, Finally Slim. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're giving away one more book later on in the show. But first, uh, Dr. Young, are you a Dolly Parton fan? Absolutely. You know what her favorite song is that she's ever written? She's written over 3,000. Can you guess which one? Maybe I'll give you a book if you can. Uh, nine to five. Oh, I was going to say a coat of many colors. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking at it right here. She also wrote a movie on it. But guess what? I was just talking to Dr. Young about self-acceptance and feeling who I am. So this song is dedicated to everyone out there who's listening. On this song, Dolly Parton teams up with Sia. It's Here I Am, courtesy of Sony Music. She's a member of the Type 2 Diabetes What to Know community. Please welcome to the show, Crystal. Hi, Crystal. Hi. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and talking about self-acceptance and diabetes. We love having you as a guest. Well, thank you. Uh, How do you feel about Dolly Parton? Um, I admire her, but I was listening to some of the questions you were asking, and I'm not enough of a fan to be able to answer any of those. All right, so then we'll throw it to you on diabetes then. How's that? (laughs) 
take us that, back. You know, Dolly's better. had a career that goes back that. 50 years, but you've had an experience living with diabetes for about over a decade. So, and specifically, we're talking about type 2 diabetes. So, take us back to the very beginning when you were first diagnosed, and tell us a little bit about that situation and maybe what you're you were feeling emotionally at the time. Okay, I, I'm, my story is probably a little bit different than other people's because I've gotten a divorce and um, I took myself back to college. And I was hard charging, taking 15 credit hours um, at a, a semester, and I was making all A's, and I was about 57 years old, 58, something like that. But my last two semesters, I discovered that I was really sick, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I knew I was really, really sick. Um, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any insurance, so I just stayed really, really sick. And during that two-year period, I managed to let my imagination go absolutely crazy, so I had all kinds of unimaginable diseases. As soon as I got insurance, um, the very first day it was active, I went in and had a, a full physical, and they called me the next day and said, your blood work looks really good, except your fasting blood sugar is 388 and your A1C is 13.7. We'd like to see you next. We'd like to see you tomorrow. So I said, okay. Unlike most people, I think I was so happy to find out that it was just diabetes, realizing that there's a lot to it because both my parents are diabetics. Realizing there was a lot to it, I still knew I could handle that. I can do something with that. You know, there there are things I can do to manage that and take care of myself. So it was kind of, for me, it was kind of a positive diagnosis. I wasn't dying of something horrendous. And are both are were you, are both of your parents living well with diabetes, or have they suffered any complications? Um, neither of them suffered complications. My father's passed away, but it had nothing to do with diabetes. My mother's still currently uh, alive, and she's 85 years old, and she's a type 2 diabetic. She's controlled strictly by medication. She has no complications with diabetes, but she's also pretty tight on her control, too. And your di- your, the way you manage your diabetes for type 2 diabetes is slightly different than most people because you also wear an insulin pump, correct? That is correct. And, uh, I so what led you, I mean, also. a lot of people listening uh, manage their diabetes with oral medications who have type 2 diabetes. I'm curious to know what led you to manage it with a pump. How did I end up on an insulin pump? Yes. Uh, when I was diagnosed, I weighed, I, I'm like 5'6", and I weighed like 135 pounds. My, my blood pressure is still to this day, I'm 67. It's about 100 over 65. My um, cholesterol is really good. I'm not a metabolic type 2. I don't have the metabolic issues. I just simply have um, a pancreas that just isn't producing any insulin, but it's not from an autoimmune attack. It's just not producing insulin. And so you're imagining it by giving you – tell everyone – yes, it does. So just tell everyone, some people are hearing these terms for the first time. What is is your day-to-day experience like? Um. I guess like any other diet. With respect to managing, wear, you know, take using the pump, just so people know, because people assume don't really know what that means who might be listening. So I'm just curious if you could explain it. Well, one of the nice things about my being on the pump, I also have gastroparesis, so it does help me time out when I give insulin boluses. But instead of having to stick myself six to eight times a day with a um, with a needle to give myself an injection and then keep testing to make sure I was okay, being on a pump, I can, they can program the pump. I can actually do it myself now. I know how to do it. I can program the pump for my insulin sensitivity and what my carb to insulin ratio is. In, in other words, how many carbs can I eat that one unit of insulin will cover? And then all I have to do once all of that is programmed into my pump is I enter in the number of carbs that I'm eating and what my current 
blood glucose is. And that's that I do with the finger stick. I don't rely on my sensor to tell me that because it can mess up sometimes. And then I just punch it all in, and it tells me how much, and I hit deliver. So for me, it's significantly easier. Instead of having to, you know, stab myself with a needle, which doesn't bother me, but, you know, if you don't have to, then why would you? I just have to change out my infusion site like every two or three days. Then I also have a continuous glucose monitor. Go ahead. That that gives you, that helps you see where your um, blood sugars are on a, on a basis so you can see what's trending up and down and you're able to kind of monitor your your uh, insulin therapy based on those numbers as well. Right, right. Um, I, th- I think probably the continuous glucose monitor, the pump has been a godsend, but the continuous glucose monitor, I get a reading every five minutes of what my blood sugar is and um, I can't always, even the best of, of um continuous glucose monitors, you still can't 100% rely on them to, to bolus off of, you know, to give yourself an insulin shot off of or to treat a low off of. You probably should do a finger stick to make sure that it is exactly accurate. But at least I know the trends. I can watch it, you know, if it's going up, I can catch it before it gets too high. If it's going low, I can catch it before it gets too low. I'm hypo unaware, so I can get down to 30 and be functioning just fine. And so, you know, I, I was talking to Dr. Beverly Adler earlier about a little bit of dealing with multiple issues around your health. So you've mentioned several tonight. So you're living with type 2 diabetes, but you also mentioned a term called gastroparesis, and now you just mentioned um, hypo-unawareness. I'll, we'll turn to the educators in a minute to get more information on both of those, but how do you deal with all okay. of that? Because for a lot of people, that would seem very overwhelming, uh, Crystal. Well, Honestly, I also have stage 3 liver disease, so um, there are a lot of things to deal with. I think for me, um, being on the insulin pump and having the CGM helps tremendously because with gastroparesis, your your stomach doesn't empty like it's supposed to, and I have a pretty severe case of it. Um, My gastro emptying time one half, in other words, the time it would take for one half of my meal to leave my stomach is about seven and a half hours. So by having the, you know, having my... CGM and my insulin pump, I can kind of work around that a little bit. Um, as far as the liver disease part, it's basically, you know, there's not much you can do for liver disease. You can prevent it. Once you have it, there's not much you can do, you know, to stop cirrhosis or stop fibrosis. But if you catch it early enough, your liver will regenerate itself. So my whole goal now is to eat a nice, healthy, balanced meal that's also going to help my diabetes it's going to help my gastroparesis. It's going to help my liver. The only catch is um, with gastroparesis, fiber fiber is not your friend. Right. Well, let's ask some of the educators. We've got both Patricia Addy-Gentle and Dr. Beverly S. Adler on the line with us. They're both certified diabetes educators. Patricia, this is, I mean, Crystal's story really talks a lot about living uh, with attitude with all these complications. I'm, I know down in Atlanta you've had a lot of patients who've experienced some of these things as well. What's your, what, what's your, uh, what would you like to share? Um, I, I'm interested in knowing uh, with the gastroparesis if Crystal is experiencing nausea, vomiting, or is it primarily the de- delayed emptying? That's all of the above, nausea, vomiting. It depends upon how severe the flare-up is. Nausea, vomiting, bloating, um, stomach pain, um, just a whole lot of things, and it just kind of depends on which way it's going to go. I can tell I'm going into flare-up when I start eating, 
because after two or three bites, all of a sudden I'm full and my stomach starts bloating. I'm like, okay, here we go. I yeah, might be so spending the night commuting with the, with the toilet. Right. My, my reason for asking that question, I was trying to figure out if the insulin that, you know, once you program your pump and the amount of insulin that you're going to deliver based on what you plan to eat, but you're not always able to eat that. And, yes, you're right. That is a problem. And what I've started doing with that um, is, is if I'm, like I said, I kind of get an indication depending upon how I feel, and then it kind of gets, you know, when I wake up in the day, if I'm feeling a little bit off, I'm really in tune to my body. If I'm feeling a little bit off, I'm going to be much more careful about what I eat. And also at that time, um, I'm, I count my carbs very tightly, and I'm going to only bolus for like half of them and save the rest for later. If I go a little high, that's okay. It's a lot better than, you know, having too much insulin on board. One of the other problems is that um, sometimes my insulin will hit before my meal hits my digestive system, goes into my system, so my blood sugar will drop really low, followed by a rebound really high. So it's, just, it's something that I just kind of have to stay on top of. Yeah, it, it, I'm sure that your you have to have meticulous um, eye and watchful eye, especially in lieu of the fact that you have hypoglycemic unawareness. So if yes. you don't feel it, you don't realize that the blood sugar is going low and you weren't able to eat what you anticipated eating and your insulin is infusing. So uh, those are the right. things that, that I would admonish you to be mindful of, and which I'm sure you already know and you're already doing, but... You know, just be very careful. Uh, oh, in, trust me. In, I'm uh, very mindful. Yes, and and you do have the insulin, um, the continuous glucose monitor, so that helps as well. Right. I, honestly, I, I don't have know to how say, Doctor Bev, without you, the CGM. Doctor Bev, when you hear this, we were talking about diabetes distress, but I mean, Crystal is juggling multiple things, and the attitude is coming right out of the airwaves. I mean, it's off the charts. I'm so, I, I, this, her spirits are so wonderful. I hope our listeners, I, I think they're getting motivated and inspired from it. This is really wonderful to hear this, isn't it? I, I, I congratulations to her because she is not letting it uh, drag her down. Um, I, I also live with the hypoglycemia unawareness, and so I know that uh, I have to keep a close eye on my blood sugars as well, that they don't drop too low, because if I was at 30, I might not feel it. And one of the ways to try to uh, improve that hypoglycemia unawareness is to not let it drop so low so that you're, the problem is your body gets used to the idea of lows, okay? So you, if you're frequently 30 and 40 blood sugar, the body gets used to it, and it, and it just uh, it doesn't respond. And then you have to drop even lower before the body will recognize it. So if you can hopefully keep your blood sugars you know, from becoming too low, it, the hypoglycemia awareness can actually improve. And so um, it might be only a 40 or a 50, which sounds low to most people, uh, where before you can actually start responding. The gastroparesis is very, very difficult to deal with. And um, <clears throat> I I remember with my pregnancy, Okay, so I didn't have gastroparesis, but 
I had extreme morning sickness, and so um, I would take my insulin prior to my meal, and then I absolutely had no appetite and I couldn't eat, and it was a major problem until my diabetes specialist said, you have to take your insulin after your meal so that you will know exactly how many carbs you've actually eaten. You can't, I would anticipate how much I would eat, and yes, my blood sugar would drop low. And so I, I'm thinking that that might also help you um, if you take your insulin after your meal. It's, it's not ideal, but if you are unable to eat all the carbs that you had anticipated, it could help you from dropping too low. Those are those are very I, difficult complications you're dealing with. They are because they're not. Um, there's nothing consistent about it, even in terms of foods that will trigger it. There's nothing consistent about it. But um, my hypo one awareness is more due to damage to the vagus nerve, which is the same thing that's that's causing my gastroparesis. My body also won't cool itself down in the summer. I have to. If I'm going to go watch my granddaughter's soccer game, I have to bring an ice chest with me with washer eggs and stuff to cool off. Sometimes I even have to go in the car and get an air conditioning. So it's not, it's not a desensitize, you know, desensitizing for me. It's, it's, it's just the vagus nerve that runs all those things and, and the center part of your body is not functioning right. But you're absolutely right. Let your blood sugars get too low too often and you're comfortable there and it's dangerous. Thank you. <laughs> Can I just make one comment? I'm sorry, Max. Um, just to bring back to the um, dumb blonde uh, comment uh, that you had earlier. I know it's off topic right this second, but um, I just wanted to say Dolly Parton's quote about how she felt when she was called a dumb blonde. She said, not only does she know that she's not dumb, but she's not a blonde. Well, on that note, I love it. On that note, we're going to come right back and play our push and pull health game and bringing back Catherine Schuler in a minute. But first, here's more Dolly Parton. Here's push and pull, courtesy of Sony Music. All I'm trying to do is just give you some good advice. And you give it so freely. community crystal and I, it makes me happy that people like you are on that um on facebook as well as on the website encouraging others to be so proactive about their health like you are so cheers to you and we've got dr bev and uh patricia on the panel uh we're gonna pretend like we played several games with you tonight and now it's ready for the okay. big question here you're gonna win all the marbles which means you're gonna get a copy of dr lisa young's book they're uh, finally full finally slim if you could answer this question right 
Oh, darn it. I'm, you know, I, I know I'm going to want the book, but I'm pretty sure I'm probably not going to answer the question right. But go ahead. All right. Well, this is this question is from the book Heart Solutions for Women by Dr. Mark uh, Meliancio, uh, the medical director of Mello Clinic. The ratio of men to women in the study by the Physician's Health Study of 1995, which found that aspirin reduced the risk of heart attacks, was, this is the ratio of men to women, was it one, zero men to 20,000 women? 10,000 men to 10,000 women, or were there 20,000 men and zero women participating in that physician's health study of 1995? What is your answer? Oh, geez, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, I'm going to say the middle one. Just 10,000 men to 10,000 women? Yeah, is okay. that your final answer? I suppose. <laughs> That's right. It's my final answer. Oh, well, no, it's not my final you're, answer. You're still going to get a copy of the book, but Patricia, what is the answer on that? Actually, the answer is there were 20,000 men and no women. Oh, what? Wow. And oh, they oh. did this study in 1995, and they found that aspirin reduced the risk of heart attack, and people swear by this every day of their life, and none of the none of the people in this study were women? None were women. Although heart disease kills more women than men every year, the treatment for women's heart disease was based until recently on medical research performed on men because men have historically been the focus of heart disease research and concern. And that's because, on average, it develops nearly a decade later in women that's heart disease. It's developing later in women than in men, and because more men than women die in middle age because of heart disease. As late as the 1990s, most of the studies for heart disease were entirely focused on men. You know, Dr. Bev, I find that hard to believe. Are there any women out there who are fighting to champion more women being involved in heart, in heart disease uh, studies and research? I don't find it hard to believe at all because the, the researchers were probably men and they studied men and they just assumed that, that was, uh, there was no gender difference between men and women. So I'm not surprised, but I am very happy that um, there is a, a new uh, focus. There's um, In California, there's the Barbara Streisand Women's Heart Health Center. And um, they are working to correct these discrepancies between men and women and heart disease symptoms. And I can give you some of the different symptoms for women for heart attacks, okay? Because we were not really ever told that there's a difference. And so <clears throat> some of the symptoms that women experience are neck, jaw, shoulder, or upper back or abdominal discomfort. They experience shortness of breath. They have pain in one or both arms. They may experience nausea or vomiting. They may experience sweating, lightheadedness or dizziness, like you said for uh, Susan Lucci, and unusual fatigue. And uh, those are really red flags that women should be aware of that they that they had not been aware of. I love it. Thank you for cluing us in, and everyone else could get clued into heart disease and diabetes at the Clued In First Ever Escape Room Experience on 
March 26th, register now, space is limited. We'll all be there uh, putting on that um, outreach event. I also want to tell everyone it's Valentine's Day. Remember, uh, spare a rose and save a child. Donate now to the International Federation's uh, Foundation at idf.org and help a child in need who's living with type 1 diabetes. We're part of uh, Diabetes Podcast Week. I want to thank Dr. Bev, Patricia, Crystal, Catherine Schuler, Poet Lorraine Brooks, and Dr. Lisa Young for being part of the fourth annual Podcast Week with us. Make sure to check out all those other wonderful podcasts. And hey, check out my newest video. I just posted it on Facebook as well as the Divabetic website. And, and read Dr. Bev's uh, blog post about self-acceptance and diabetes on divabetic.org. Every diva has an entourage. And tonight we're celebrating one, and that's Dolly Parton. <laughs> Let's stay happy and healthy together. Here's one of my favorite songs off of the new Dumplin' soundtrack, courtesy of Sony Music. Here's Better Get to Live In, courtesy of Sony Music. <laughs> 